And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 151 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 151 games. Uh, Brandon Crawford played exactly 151 games in 2018. Uh, It's actually more rare than you think. Only 23 Giants, including New York, have played in exactly 151 games. I don't know what to make of that. 151 games. Huh. Well, um... I guess, uh, well, and what year was that again? 2018? <laughs> 2018, that fabulous year that we just keep coming back to because we love it so much. I was going to say, I think probably 150 and a half of those games were totally forgettable. <laughs> that season was just the weirdest season because that was the uh, the all-in season, the, hey, let's let's give it uh, one more go. Let, let's get uh, uh, McCutcheon, let's get uh, Longoria, and let's just go after it. And for a while, it kind of was working. It was like 500, 500. You know, they kept you know, one game over, one game behind, and they were still sort of kind of in the mix for the second wild card. And then that September happened, and uh, here we are. Yeah, and it, it is kind of amazing how, how cyclical baseball is. And you have teams that look like they could be dynasties. When And the Giants probably should have learned their lesson from the Phillies team that they beat in 2010 and how quickly they aged. And, you know, the, the, the Cubs probably should have learned their lesson from watching the Giants and, and how quickly things spiraled out of control there um and 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 you know now you have the cubs totally shipping off everybody including chris bryant to the giants so um yeah it's it is amazing how once you start thinking oh you know this this team has a lot of talent they're going to be good for a long time uh uh-uh. uh you got to keep that top spinning all the time and uh and if you start trying to keep it spinning in ways that are not sustainable uh then you start digging yourself in a hole and and Pretty amazing that the you know the Giants are, are pretty much all the way dug out. Yeah, get a load of some of these names on the 2018 Giants, and here's why they were so bad, right? Get a load of these guys. Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria. I mean, what were they thinking? How can a team, how can a roster like that <laughs> expect to contend? Oh, that's uh, a good segue to 2021 because Brandon Belt is back and Tommy LaStella is back. The Giants are getting healthier. Evan Longoria is about to start a rehab assignment. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen the full strength Giants and yet they've been humming along to the best record in baseball. How? I mean, does a part of you kind of like look at it and wince a little bit and think, ooh, you don't want to disrupt a good thing. You don't want to disrupt the momentum. You're getting players back that you know are talented and players that you know can help the situation. I mean, there's no two players that better encapsulate 
everything the Giants have done offensively, uh, all of their philosophies that they're engaging on and, and that are working, then Tommy LaStella and Brandon Belt, guys who are, are, have tremendous zone discipline, who see a lot of pitches, uh, you know, get on base, in LaStella's case, you almost never strike out. Um, you think that, okay, the, that, that's just going to you know grease the wheels even more. But then a part of you is like, well, but what's that going to do to Lamont Wade Jr.'s playing time? What's that going to do to Darren Ruff's playing time? What's that going to do to some of these guys who have really contributed uh, consistently and they're going to have some difficult decisions to make it and they were able to kind of push one uh, or, or put off one a little bit by having Kevin Gossman go on the paternity list best wishes uh, to him he and his wife I hopefully have had their second daughter by now her name is Sutton because she's obviously going to win more than 300 games in the big leagues <laughs> and have a fantastic perm permed head of curly hair um but, uh, yeah, so they're going to have to bring him back on Sunday, and that means that they're going to have to subtract somebody, and then they're going to have to subtract somebody uh, off the 40-man for Longoria. Uh, so, yeah, tough decisions to make, not only uh, uh, from a roster standpoint, but from you know how they're going to deploy their personnel. Uh, because earlier this season, we saw when they went a long time without facing a lefty, that's when guys like Austin Slater kind of lost their mojo a little bit, and, and then uh, the team scuffled for for a little bit as, uh, as they try to get that mojo back. So, um, yeah, it, it's all a very interesting puzzle, and I think it's just a puzzle that's got a lot of pieces. They're good pieces, but there are a lot of pieces. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, I, I tweeted a, a similar sentiment the other day where it's, I remember watching teams where Brandon Belt, when he goes down, that is like the on-base uh, horse of the lineup. He's the anchor. He goes down. You have fewer base runners for the lineup. Everything goes kerflui. And then when he comes back, it's like, oh, heck yes. Here's Brandon Belt, that on-base percentage man. Stick him back in there and let's get this baby humming again. And this time he goes down and it's like, all right, we have Lamont Wade Jr. and Darren Ruff. And yeah, it's about the same production. Or, or when Ruff gets hot, it's like a lot... Uh, 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 more production or when Wade gets hot. So I've never seen a team like this where you get Brandon Belt back and you know he's good. You know that he's talented. You know how he can help an offense in a lineup. Uh, at the same time, like what does that do to Wade and Ruff and where do they get their spots? I think the the easiest answer is that it pushes everyone back and now you have the luxury of having Wade or Ruff available in eighth, ninth innings. You saw what Wade did in the, the ninth inning on, uh, I don't even know what date it is, on Thursday. Um, and that's great, but how do you keep guys like that fresh? That's that's the big rub. It's it's one thing to have uh, players as if you're in a video game, you get to swap them in wherever you want, but you've got guys who want to stay fresh, want to stay hot, want to stay you know uh, capable. And that's where your 16-person coaching staff comes in and, and they mm. have all of these tools to try to keep people ready and, and help them simulate game reps and, and and coach them up in ways where you have guys ready to go. And we've seen it, I think, in, in how productive the bench has been. Uh, maybe not quite as much this year as, as last year, um, but, you know, yeah, they, they've got a bunch of pinch homers and they, they find a way to to get a lot of contributions off their bench. And I don't think I don't think there's a better example of that than, I, you know, maybe we should talk about the greatest comeback in, in Giants history in a couple of decades. I, I guess I guess we should talk about that at some point. Listen, Thursday's game uh, and while while you're watching it, I don't know. I don't know about you, but like while I'm watching it, I'm seeing four nothing to the Diamondbacks. And I'm I'm thinking of the 2021 Giants and I'm going they can come back. They can come back. You know, sixth inning. Eh, it just takes X, Y, and Z to happen. Seventh inning. Okay, X, Y. And it just wasn't happening. And by the time you get to the ninth inning, you're thinking, all right, I think time has run out. And even like if you're super, you know, optimistic about what the Giants can can do in that situation, that that's a bridge too far. 
they just have so much depth. They have so much. Buster Posey, in some years, it's if he didn't get it done, it wasn't getting done. He had a, a pretty rough at bat. Wilmore Flores had a pretty rough at bat, and they still got it done. That's just how much depth they have in the lineup bowls me over every time. And against a team like the Diamondbacks, no lead is safe, I would think. Yeah, I mean, only three times all season has a starting pitcher worked eight innings against them. Uh, Merrill Kelly uh, became the third. Uh, he's actually one of, uh, he's he's pitched seven innings against them twice. The only other person who's done that this year is Walker Bueller. Um, so Merrill Kelly has pitched very well against the Giants. Also, his baseball reference nickname is Woogie, which is really <laughs> perfect if you've seen a tight shot of him yes, because he yes. does look like a very young Chris <laughs> Elliott. I never know if those baseball reference nicknames are actually legitimate. I mean, I right. never heard anyone call Pablo Sandoval the round mound of pound. I mean, that's on his his list. Uh, there was like Fat Ichiro was on there for a little bit. Yeah, I like that's you know, unfortunate. Captain Underpants for hundred pence. You know, mm. maybe someone called him that once. I guess, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Woogie. I really and truly hope that that is sincerely his nickname, and people like you know call him. Hey, Woogie, can you bring me my glove? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey Woogie, are, are we taking BP today? You know, I, I really hope that that is uh, the case. But he's 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 pitched great against the Giants. He's uh, he's found a way just to throw strike after strike after strike, move the ball around. They took him out after 102 pitches, and Chris Bryant was even saying bottom of the. Eighth, he's standing in center field and he's kind of, you know, thinking whimsically to himself, okay, how am I going to have to approach uh, my next at bat against this guy based on what what I've seen? And then the Diamondbacks went to their bullpen and Bobby Clark and a guy who, um, you know, just came off the injured list. And, and I saw a lot of comments that it was like, oh, you know, they, the, the Diamondbacks really gave it to us. They cracked the door wide open. It's like, no, I don't care who you put on the mound. I don't care if you put, you know, uh, Darren Ruff on the mound. Um, you, the Giants had a less than a barely a one percent chance to come back in that game, and it didn't matter, you know, that they took Merrill Kelly out or not. You're down four nothing in the ninth. That is not an opportunity. That is basically biding time until the game is over. And um, and yet, as Chris Bryant started off that inning, and I looked at the hitters and looked at what the Giants had left on their bench, uh, I thought to myself. Okay, this is a non-zero chance, really. If they can just get the leadoff guy on, and then boom, double, and then single, and then double, hit by pitch, and uh, and then uh, next thing you know, Lamont Wade Jr. is up there with uh, the tying runs on base uh, and two outs, and he has just a tremendous, tremendous at bat against Tyler Clippard. I don't know how he didn't swing at at a couple of those two strike pitches, uh, but you know he did. Uh, he did stay patient and and waited for something that he could do do something with, and then uh, and then ropes the single, ties the game, and then by that point you just knew the Giants were going to win. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think they had a one point three percent chance to win that game, and it didn't matter who the Diamondbacks had on the mound. That that's not a situation where you're supposed to win, and and even Chris Bryant said we had no business winning that game, and. Uh, pretty cool that it's the first time they've come back from down four runs or more in the ninth to win until that epic, epic game against the Braves in 1993. And you look at the names that were in that lineup that day and who did the contributions in that ninth inning comeback. And it's Barry Bonds, Will Clark, Matt Williams. You know, you're thinking, wow, that must have been that must have been a great Giants team. And I'm just going to just going to assume that they won the World Series that year. Uh, with the wild card, they would have, you know, wild card came in the next year and uh, dagnamit, they would have. I, I, I believe that firmly. But no, it's like Tori Lovello. Don't blame him. I, I That's a good point, because look, with a four run lead, you should be able to put in the last guy 
of your bullpen, the back end, your mop-up guy. You're not going to do that, but you should be able to statistically. Uh, this isn't Matt Williams, uh, to bring him up in a much different light, taking out Jordan Zimmerman. Like, this is not just, what are you doing? How could you possibly? It was. It made sense. It's just the Giants lineup is, is, is too deep right now. And, uh, boy, I can't believe I'm still here after saying that sentence. It feels like I should have gone up in a puff of smoke. The Giants lineup is, <laughs> for like the past five years, I haven't been able to say that, but what's interesting with the roster right now is that you're starting to see Alex Dickerson get hot. Donovan Solano get hot. His defense, maybe not so much, but you're starting to get some contributions from them where a week ago, two weeks ago, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe there's going to be some tough decisions coming down. The decisions will still be tough, but they'll be tough in a much, much different way because if you've got Dickerson doing Dickerson things and you've got Donnie Barrels back, I mean, how do you fill out a 26-man roster? you got to appeal to Manfred. Give us 28 again. Yeah, and maybe they just have to get creative for a couple weeks here until they get to September and they can expand the roster. And that may mean that they use the injured list creatively. I could definitely see that happening you know, Stephen Duggar, I think you hate to speculate, oh, who's going down or who's losing their job or whatever. But, you know, Stephen Duggar's got a 500 OPS uh, since the beginning of, of July. Chris Bryant did start in center field um, on Thursday. I think that it's probably fair to say that Duggar is the guy who looks like the obvious option um, right now. And he is optionable. So you can bring him back and he'll have a big role on this team, I think, in September. Uh, he's he clearly is somebody who can impact a game with his defense in center field. Um, you know that he's got some power uh, that he's tapped into. But, um, you know, yeah, it hasn't been so great for him at the plate lately. And I think we will see Duggar again. I think we'll see Mauricio Dubon again on this roster. Um, but, you know, they're going to have to find a way to, like you said, cram a lot of talented people into, um, you know, 26 spaces uh, for at least another four weeks. So, um, but, you know, I, I just keep going back to that bench. It, it's it, Gabe Kapler, when he met with us prior to Thursday's game, uh, he's looking at his lineup card. He always takes out his like you know big paper stock cardboard lineup card with him, all neatly printed out, which I think is kind of cool. And um, he's like, "Check out that bench I've got today, guys!" Because they had the <laughs> they had the extra position player, right? Because they they put Gosman on the paternity list, so they had a seven person bench. And and I, I just look at at the um, the play by play on um, MLB.com uh, in the bottom of the ninth. And it's, it's hilarious. It's like a spring training split squad game. Defensive switch from right field to first base for Lamont Waite. Defensive switch from third base to second base for Tommy Lasella. Defensive switch from center field to third base for Chris Bryant. Steven Duggar remains in the game as the center fielder. He was a pinch runner. Austin Slater remains in the game as the right fielder. He was also a pinch runner. Buster Posey remains in the game as the catcher. And Tyler Rogers replaces Jose Alvarez batting ninth. I mean, it's like... Yeah, all of those moves make sense. None of those is somebody you're like, whoa, they, they had to put that guy there. I mean, it's uh, it, it really is pretty dynamic to watch them move people around, and, and, uh, and maybe they'll have to do more of that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is modern baseball. It is. Uh, this is like the uh, platonic ideal of what a roster should feel like for a guy like Kapler for, uh, for Farhan. I mean, it's like there was an article a long time ago, Russell Carl. Russell Carlton, we talk about him a lot, uh, a great analyst, but he wrote, look, it's tricky when you start moving guys around. There's going to be a dip. It doesn't matter if it if you're taking, uh, you know, Brandon Crawford, a gold glove shortstop and moving him to second base. He's going to, you know, suffer at second base for a little bit, regardless of how talented he is. And then once he learns the position, he'll get back to a certain level that you can expect. The Giants aren't like taking Austin Slater and putting him at second base. Like they're not putting Wilmer Flores in center field. They're doing this with guys who have have done all this before. This is not new to any of these guys. And so when you're te- when you're telling Tommy Listella, okay, from second to, to third to first, he's done it. When you're saying Chris Bryant, all right, third to center to left to first, he's done it. Like it's not like you're you're throwing a, a wrench in in these guys' brains. They can do all this, and that's the kind of roster that the Giants have been trying to build. It feels like for a couple of years, and this is as you know versatile as I've ever seen it. So this is where I can offer up my idea that would involve somebody (laughs) playing a position they've never played before, someone who is a gold glover at their current position. Um, I kind of dig the idea of Evan Longoria as a second baseman. What do you think? Uh, You know what? I want to say that I wrote about this before last year. I think that was when I wrote about, like, it was in a, a, a part that had, like, you know, five questions for the Giants or something where it had a bunch of different capsules. And one of them was like, well, Evan Longoria at second base? I don't know. And then I felt, like, silly after doing that. Like, no, come on, that's just, that's too much. Uh, but no, I think you're right. I think there's something there. Uh, what I'm going to ask you is uh, why? And I'm not saying that, like, no, no, no. I'm not saying that, like, cynically. I'm not saying that, like, you know, you know, for what, for whom I'm saying like, who is getting in the lineup there that like you're taking, if you've got Longoria at second, I'm assuming that you have La Stella and Solano on the bench. And then you have an outfield of, uh, I don't know, explain it. Like, like give me what, what that would do in your lineup. Okay. Well, so if La Stella or Solano is in the lineup, then it doesn't make sense. I don't think that it makes a whole lot of sense at all um, because you got to play those two guys somewhere. And then, you know, obviously I think that to put them at third base or anywhere other than second base is probably not a good idea. Um, where I think it does make sense is if you wanted to have uh, um, a lineup against a left-handed pitcher, uh, then you could play uh, uh, Longoria at second base. You could play Chris Bryant at third base and then you could have uh, an, an all right-handed hitting outfield potentially. Um, I I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think I just like the idea because I've seen Longoria play in shifts on that side of the base, and I've seen him turn double plays, and he looks good at it. I mean, I, I think that he, he maybe he wouldn't have the world's greatest range as a second baseman, but I think that he'd be pretty sure-handed and. Their second base defense is, is not so super wonderful right now. And um, so I don't think you would do it if you would subtract from other areas. But um, I, I do think that it could make sense in certain permutations or maybe as double switch type things where you start him there and, and then switch him to, to third base later in the game. Um, I don't know. I'm just uh, they're not versatile enough, damn it. I want, I want them to be more versatile. <laughs> 
<laughs> getting greedy, getting greedy. Well, you know, to your point, it seems like uh, with the advanced data and you have uh, it's just everyone is positioned so well out there compared to where they even were 10 years ago. You have teams experimenting with, okay, Eugenio Suarez, shortstop, why not? You, you, Max Muncy, second baseman, I don't care that he doesn't exactly look like Roberto Alomar out there. Let's put him out there. He's actually pretty good out there. But like you're able to do this stuff and I don't think Longoria would be even close to the wackiest experiment uh, in the middle infield. I think he is like a medium wacky experiment. I don't even think he's wacky. I think he's like a, almost like a the low end of sensible. So I, I'm with you. I think and I think your last point, double switches, just just in case, just an inning here. I think that would be the ultimate utility because you never exactly know what's going to come up. But if like something did, maybe you do need Longoria at second for a little bit. And he's been there on shifts. And I think it would, I think it's a fantastic idea, Andy. That's what I'm saying. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I, I, I look forward to you praising every idea that I have to the end of time. Um, <laughs> do we need to talk about um, the pitching? Should we talk about the pitching? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's where we were going to end up at one point anyway, because before the deadline, both you and I had a lot of conversations about this starter, that starter. Uh, maybe we, the Giants should get Max Scherzer. Maybe they should get uh, this guy, Jose Barrios. Um, and that was for a reason. We could all see what was coming where you have, uh, even if it weren't a mutant 60-game season last year, you're asking a lot from pitchers who aren't necessarily... Uh, you know, prime Matt Kane pitching 200 innings every year. You have Logan Wood. You have Disc, uh, Anthony Disclafani. You have uh, Kevin Gossman, uh, a little bit more reliable uh, as far as health. Uh, but you have Logan Webb, who is approaching his career uh, innings limit, not limit, but uh, maximum that he's ever pitched before. Johnny Cueto's had recent surgery. I mean, uh, all these guys, you could see, like, they're not going to go 200 innings, all of them. And that wasn't the plan. You, you knew that wasn't the plan. It was going to be support one way or the other but now you're starting to see that need for support and Aaron Sanchez has looked pretty good he can be that support maybe Tyler Beatty is is that they're stretching Sammy Long out um, so it's not as if they're out of ideas uh, Sean Jelly just got promoted to Sacramento but like you, you're starting to see the cracks and it is August 6th and there are, if everything goes well, like almost three months of baseball left. So something needs to get figured out and quick. Yeah, I'm just looking at their rotation and, um, you know, they basically have gotten five quality starts um, in 20 games uh, since the All-Star break. Uh, the rotation ERA is, is a little closer to five. Uh, prior to the break, it was 3.18. Um, and they had 40 quality starts in 89 games. So they're basically getting a quality start a little less than half the time. And now it's a little less than, you know, a quarter of a time. So, um, yeah, it, I think it is a little bit of an issue because as good as this bullpen has been, you're going to start leaning on it some more. And that's when you start having some overuse and you start having some performance lags. So, um, you know, getting back to getting quality starts is going to be important. And I, I think that we'd be talking about it a lot more and, and would be, you know, sort of um, – uh, kind of chewing at our fingernails a little bit more if Kevin Gossman wasn't coming off a, a really nice bounce back start. And yeah, it was against the Diamondbacks and, and, and you know, not every team is going to be as susceptible to those fastballs up, uh, but his fastball was very good and he still got to get a feel for his split back and, and start tunneling that again. Um, but the, it, I think, can you imagine if, if Gossman had gone out and gotten knocked around on the same day that they put Anthony DiSclefani 
on the injured list, I think we'd be kind of in, in uh, Giants fans would be in, in paranoid mode a little bit. I mean, it's a funny situation because there there are no waiver deals. Like you, you can't just uh, grab someone off of the waiver wire like you might have been able to do in, in previous Augusts, uh, which is why the Dodgers signed Cole Hamels. And to your point, I think you tweeted it or wrote about it uh, that you wouldn't be surprised to see Scott Casimir back. I mean, he's doing fine things in the Olympics. He, he's looking like the, the pitcher who could help a major league team I think he might come back it, it makes a lot of sense but you also have Aaron Sanchez back uh, he's contributing and he's he's doing a fine job it's just not a it's not a, a organizational depth chart that lends itself to uh, a bunch of starters on the 40-man roster you can just shuffle in and out like what are you going to get from Tyler Beatty the command is just not there yet uh, which is to be it wasn't really there before Tommy John it's even going to be trickier after Tommy John for a while that's the last thing to come back um, you have uh, Sammy Long I mean he's a great story uh, but he's he hasn't looked like the same guy in his last couple appearances at the major league level um, so it's a tricky spot you don't have those upper level prospects to just all of a sudden you know, pop into the rotation. I, I really don't know what they would plan if something were to happen. And uh, Connor Menez was not pitching well at uh, AAA, and I think that yeah. that tells you that, that that he wasn't really seen as an option because they designated him for assignment when they made the the move to activate other guys. So, so yeah, that's that's another depth piece that they don't have. Uh, any longer, or or maybe that's not on the forty man. They might be able to retain him. I, I think Scott Casimir for sure is going to come back. I think he's going to probably pitch for the Giants again this season. And to be clear, um, he still is. Uh, they still have his rights, even though they designated him for assignment. But he cleared waivers, and so he was outrighted, and he was in had accepted his AAA assignment. And he's going to be back. Uh, he will be back with the organization uh, once he's done uh, getting whatever metal color uh, he's able to get, and. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and and packs his stuff and leaves the athlete's village and uh, and heads back to the U.S. Um, with, with six bottles of Yamazaki 18 that he said he would bring back for me and only me. Is that for real? No, that's not for Damn. real. But did you hear about this thing with uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was given a bunch of gifts? You know, and you're supposed to disclose all those and turn them over. Uh, and, and there's apparently a $5,800 bottle of Japanese whiskey that he received, and no oh, one man. can find it. No one can oh. find it. I think I know where it is, but... It's um, in his belly! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, uh, we've actually talked about this before, but I would feel guilty taking a sip of $5,000 whiskey just because, like, I don't know. It feels like I've ruined my tongue on the, the $20 bottles. Like, I I just don't feel like I have the palate for something like that. So, this is crazy. I, I will tell you a quick segue story because I got to spend uh, two months in Japan in 2019, and... Uh, I went to the Yamazaki Distillery. It's uh, in between Kyoto and Osaka, and uh, th- it's so hard to find the really premium, premium uh, Japanese whiskeys from Yamazaki, even in Japan. They just—they're really, really hard to find. But you can go to their distillery, and you can take the tour or not take the tour. You just show up, and they have a bar there where you can get tasting flights, and mm. they have everything, everything available to you. And yet you, you get them in just micro, micro pours. And it's it's absolutely stupidly ridiculous to spend $30 for what's essentially like maybe a quarter of an ounce of, of whiskey. But it's from a bottle that you know is like if you could buy it retail, it would be like $8,000 to buy this bottle of whiskey. So it's like 
Yeah, yeah, I want to know. Yeah. I want to know why this whiskey's <laughs> worth eight thousand, and uh, and and basically they don't. You know, there's no cap. You just you just uh, um, you know you can only you can only buy like two at a time, and then people just keep going back and back and back. And so we tried like almost everything they had, and it it, it was pretty amazing. I will say that um, Mike Pompeo. I have every confidence that he was sitting there with a two liter soda bottle of Coke and a glass of ice, and oh, didn't God. have any Jack, and, and just oh, said, oh let's just. <laughs> Blood, 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 some of this stuff in here. No doubt in my mind that's what happened. Oh, that hurts the heart. No, I just, I just don't have the power. Like, it, I was on vacation uh, a couple years ago, and when I'm on vacation, I'm an idiot. I just like, oh yeah, I definitely need, you know, that. Like, I just, I went to Santa Barbara last week. I bought a hundred dollar Queens of the Stone Age record. I did not need that, but I do it because I'm an idiot. And so I was at a, a restaurant. And they had Pappy, and I don't remember which one it was, but it was like a fifty dollars for a teensy little bit. And I said, I'm on vacation. And I tasted it and it was fine. It tasted good, but it didn't taste like, holy shnikes, like this is so much better than the Four Roses that I could have had. It's like, it tasted like the Four Roses to me. I'm just an idiot. I have no palate. Yeah. No, I mean, so much of it is just marketing and build up and, and expectations. I mean, it, it, it truly is. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess I guess part of it is, hey, if, if you can, for me, it's just curiosity. It's like, I just want to see what it's like, you know. Um, but uh, there are times you, where you might feel a little bit duped afterwards thinking, yeah, well, you know, that was built up in my mind. It wasn't really that good if I think about it objectively. But then there are other times, you know, especially a really, really good, you know, bottle of like uh, like a white burgundy or, or a Pinot Noir or something where you're like, wow, this is, yeah, this is pretty darn amazing and tastes a lot better than, you know, the $18 bottle that I would normally buy. So, um, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just the curiosity. It's the experience that's fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's segue back in. We've got a few minutes left. And I just, let me pose this to you. And I wasn't planning on talking about this. I'm just, it just popped in my head right now. Uh, number of manager of the year awards won as manager of the Giants by Bruce Bochy, zero. Number of manager of the year awards won by Gabe Kapler uh, as manager of the Giants, probably going to change right i mean at this point what would have to happen for him not to win oh boy um i i mean i i can't at this point i can't fathom anyone else winning i can't even fathom anyone else getting a vote because um i think we've uh we've kind of gotten a peek into how they do things and we know that the coaching staff has made a big impact on this team and you know, I we, we we talk about oh how much impact does a manager really have? How much is the game scripted? Uh, the personnel that that are chosen for him are, are you know he doesn't have a lot of input on that. But I think we've seen that you know for the Giants to do what they've done requires a ton of buy-in from a lot of people and a lot of bandwidth and, and brain power. Um, you know, to get people ready for different situations. And there's no doubt in my mind that this coaching staff has has had a huge impact on uh, the team's ability to take a pretty complicated way to win ball games. not just let's just throw out these five super duper all-star players and let them carry us. But, you know, let's just use the nose uh, nose to tail approach and, and get contributions from everybody. I mean, it's that's really tough to do without a ton of, a sort of intellectual bandwidth and uh this coaching staff i think has, has made a big impact on this team there's 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 no doubt so i i can't even fathom uh anybody else who would get 
a whole lot of consideration. Yeah, I'm looking at when Kappa came over. Uh, one of the thing that one of the things that Phillies fans were fond of saying is, <laughs> "Wait until he starts monkeying around with your bullpen. Like, wait until this guy starts playing with relievers." Because that was the rap. He had the very uh, visible screw up when he was new. You know, getting someone in the game that hadn't warmed up in Philly, uh, and so that was the rap on him. And I just don't complain with a lot of his bullpen decisions. You know, I don't second guess a whole lot when I'm watching in the game, I'm not going, well, you know, he should have brought in uh, Alvarez here or, or Harleen Garcia there. Like, I'm not second guessing. It seems maybe it's the personnel that's helping him along. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you've got McGee here. You've got Rogers there. You've got Harleen Garcia there. Like, it's, it's not it's not rocket science. But at the same time, I, I don't find myself second guessing him a lot. You know, I go to two, um, two moments this season. And, and my big question when Gabe Kapler took over was, What's his feel going to be for managing in a game, for for going off script, for understanding the personnel and the people, and and really looking into somebody's eyes and, and saying, hey, this starting pitcher's done, or this starting pitcher's got more in the tank, um, you know, or I'm going to make a move uh, for you know a marginal upgrade here, but it it may be it may, that may be eradicated by the fact that it could be a disruptive move for a player, or pinch hitting for this guy and in the fifth inning could could rob him of his confidence the next time. Um, I mean, I, and he's he's alluded to this, not making moves for the sake of, of making moves for any upgrade, for any percentage play, but but making sure that they're meaningful um, and trusting your personnel. But I, I go to two um, moments specifically in this season. One was on April 9th, uh, and the other one was just on, let's see, it was on July 29th. Uh, 29th. So April 9th, Johnny Cueto's pitching against the Rockies. Gabe Kapler jogs to the mound in the ninth inning. Cueto is, um, you know, just uh, an out away from uh, from a shutout, I believe. And I thought that he was going to take Cueto out, um, but he jogged out. And, and just like Bochi, when he jogs out, you don't quite know what, what he's going to do. And he left Cueto in. He, I think he recognized that that was an opportunity for him, an opportunity for the team, uh, he needed to show some faith in a starting pitcher to finish what they started. And and Cueto wasn't able to do it, and so he took him out, and they still won the game 3-1. to one. Uh, And let him throw 118 pitches, which is the most still, I think, thrown by a giant all year. And then July 29th, he's facing the Dodgers, working a very stressful inning. He's only at 77 pitches, trying to get through the sixth. He's still working on a shutout. And Kapler jogs out, and I think, okay, he's going to give Johnny the pep talk, and he's going to let him have another hitter or two. And no, he called for uh, he called for I believe it was Harleen Garcia who came in, and um, and I asked Kapler about that. You know, I, I said, you know, how much do you feel you've grown as a manager in terms of your feel uh, for, for those situations? And he he kind of got a little misty eyed when he talked about the culture that you know they were able to kind of establish here, which is they want players to be incredibly honest with them and not feel like hey. You know, I'm going to admire you for being tough and and, and, right. and keeping quiet and saying, you know, I got this, you know. No, trust that, you know what, it, it's not it's not a slight against you to say, you know, I, I, I feel I'm leaking some oil here. And part of that is just knowing that they're going to bring in somebody else who's good, who's going to get the job done for mm. you. You know, you, you're, you're sort of trust falling into your teammates there a little bit. And that's a hard thing to create, especially with veteran players. And, uh, and I think that they very successfully created that to the point where now Kapler can trust that he's getting feedback that is actually helpful feedback and not just a bunch of macho toughness. And he can act on that feedback and, and make better decisions because of that. So, And I think that is all 
things that have happened because of a culture that's been created. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I always sort of thought, well, you know, we have people talking about culture and sleep schedules and all. How much of an impact does that really make? It's not until this year that I could really see, okay, that stuff does make an impact. And, and this is how this is how it makes an impact. Yeah. I mean, that that would drive me nuts as a fan when I'd read about a guy who tried to pitch through an injury because, you know, he wanted to do it for the team or because he didn't want to, you know, look like a look like a weenie in front of his manager. Uh, that stuff drove, drove me nuts. It's like, gosh, couldn't you like all get together and realize that the best way to help your team is to be honest in it? This is like the result of that. It took a couple decades, but, you know, maybe a century or so, but it just just makes sense it makes sense like be honest i hey, i'm leaking oil like you said or ah, it's kind of barking guy you know i think i think it's probably best not to have me out there so listen it's it's like the the best case scenario in a lot of different ways when it comes to that sort of buy-in but that approach only works if you have depth on your roster and the next guy coming in is good because if you're on a team that's kind of crappy uh, and you realize you're going to be turning it over to the next pitcher who's you know maybe a fringe major leaguer or you're going to be turning it over to your at bat to the next hitter who is, you know, sitting there with a 600 OPS. Then you know you're not going to have that 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 sort of uh, trust or faith in your teammate to to pick you up. And so that's, I mean, look at the Diamondbacks. Perfect example. Merrill Kelly goes out and do- dominates, and he turns over a four nothing game. What is he going to think next time that the Diamondbacks go to their bullpen? It's uh, you know, it's 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 uh, one of those things where um, it's a hard thing to create, and I think that you have to have a lot of depth on your roster and have the talent to be able to back it up. Uh, and and so that's where the front office comes in with uh, sort of uh, never giving up on feeling like there are people out there that you can add that can improve your situation. And and I think that they're going to be very very active um, as people get cut loose and and people clear waivers uh, uh, to try to add in some more arms or some more people who can help down the stretch. I mean, not to get arrogant, but this is how uh, we can take vacations in the middle of the season, you and I. This is this is true, yes. yes. Exactly I, I, right. I don't feel like I have to cut, you know, I feel like you're going to do some great riding, and when you leave, I will do whatever in the hell it is I do. But uh, no, it's uh, good stuff. All right, uh, we spent all episode talking about whiskey, and it's uh, it should have been a rum episode, because this was episode 151. This was the Bacardi <laughs> episode. Uh, we will be back on Monday. We'll talk about what in the heck the Giants did against the Brewers. Gosh, that's going to be a good matchup. All right, so we will see you then. Thanks so much for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.